Well, good morning. We are glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Matt Morton. I'm the college pastor here. And uh, again, we're just thrilled to have you guys back. Uh, it is quiet around here during the summer. And uh, although there are more parking places, uh, we miss your faces and we miss having you guys here. So uh, if you uh, had trouble getting in this morning, uh, particularly if you're out in the gym, uh, I just want to let you know again about a couple more options we have. Uh, there is, uh, we have another campus that is next to A&M Consolidated High School off of 2818. They have a college class there at 11 o'clock. So particularly if you live in that area of town, that may be a better option for you. Uh, we also have a 6 o'clock service that is identical to this one that meets in this room, 6 p.m. every Sunday. So uh, you may want to check out one of those options. Uh, we're glad to have you here, but you may want to figure out, does this is the best thing for my schedule, all that kind of stuff, and settle in on the best service for you. Um, if you have a Bible, open it up to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to start at the very beginning in verse 1. All right, Hebrews 1, 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to worship you. We thank you for the words that we just sang, that there's no one higher, there's no one greater, no one like our God. There's nothing in our world that is more precious than you and your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for a new year, uh, for men and women who are uh, beginning up a new fall semester. Uh, It's filled with uh, many possibilities right now. Father, I pray that the things that happen to us, the things that we do, the things that we invest our lives in would be consistent with your word. And Father, I pray this morning as we study your word that you would give me words that are clear and moved from your spirit. And Father, I pray for each person in here that you would open up our minds, help us to understand the truth. I pray open up our hearts that we might believe and not doubt. And Father, I pray that you would empower our hands and feet to obey. We love you, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, to let you know a little bit about myself, I have three kids. I've got an oldest daughter, Elizabeth. She is about to be six. She'll be six here in about a week. Uh, I have a two and a half year old daughter named Abigail. And uh, then we also have a little guy, Samuel. He is uh, just about eight months old. And uh, we love him. Shannon is my wife. We love these kids a great deal. Uh, They are one of the lights of our lives. And so we enjoy spending time with them. And uh, earlier this week, I was up here at the office and the kids came up to have lunch with me and some of our staff. And uh, we were eating lunch together. And uh, as usually happens, the girls finished their food first. And so they went out into the hallway to play while the rest of us finished our meal and continued to talk. Well, they were out in the hallway playing. And as I was finishing up, I began to hear some crying and fussing out in the hallway. And I recognized the voice of uh, Abigail, the two-year-old. And so I walked out in the hall to see what was going on. And uh, she was holding her head. 
And uh, she was crying and she took her hand away for a second and she had a little scrape on her head and somehow she had hit her head. Uh, But between the tears and uh, the attempts to tell me, I couldn't understand what was going on. I asked her, Abigail, what happened? And if you've ever asked a crying toddler a question, you know, you can't, it's just, and then the thing, and then, you know, and you can't understand anything that's going on. So I'm standing there and I said, maybe you could calm down just a little bit and uh, try to tell me clearly, you know, use clear words. And it it was no dice. It wasn't happening. And as I'm doing this, I hear Elizabeth, my six-year-old, she looks up at me and she says, Daddy, there's only one way to find out. I said, I'm sorry, what is that? She goes, there's just, there's just one way to find out uh, what's going on, what happened. And I said, all right, well, enlighten me, uh, wise one. Tell me what it is that I need to do in order to find out what happened to her. And she goes, well, there is a uh, website you need to go to. It's called whathappentoabigail.com, and it will tell you everything you need to know. All right, direct from my six-year-old. And uh, it made me think a little bit about, um, it made me laugh, but then it made me think a little bit about uh, our generation. If we want to know something, where do we go? Right? There's no such website, by the way, as what happened to Abigail.com, just in case you're wondering. But in her mind, she's thinking, hey, of course that's where you go. You go to the internet. It's the first place you go. If you want to know truth, where do you go? You go online. If you want to know what is real about yourself, you want to know what is real about this world, what is real about God, let me ask you a a real legitimate question. Where do you go to find truth? For some of you, maybe it is is the internet. For others of you, maybe it is your friends. If a friend of yours tells you something, man, it is gospel truth, whether you research it or check it out or not. When I was starting here at A&M, some friends of mine told me that it was absolute fact that the kid who played Zach on Saved by the Bell was coming that same semester to A&M, right? And I believed him. I walked around looking for him, hoped maybe I'd land in a class with him. Uh, He never showed up, actually. I don't think he ever was here. But it was truth because a friend told me. Maybe it is you take your ideas about what's true from other media, maybe from a TV show, reality TV in your mind, you believe it's, it's really real, right? That there's something real about it. And so you take your ideas about truth. Maybe it is from a podcast of your favorite pastor. Maybe it is uh, from your parents. The parents in the room are going, I wish it was, right? Where do you get your idea about what is true? Well, as you read the scripture, what you're going to see is that the Bible's going to tell us that there is one source of truth, one medium of revelation that is greater than any other. There's one place we can go for truth that's going to trump every other place, whether it's the internet or TV or my parents or my friends or my experience or whatever it is. And that place we go to is actually in the person of Jesus Christ. So you want to know what's true. You open up the Bible and you read about Jesus and what he said and what he did and what he taught. And the scripture tells us that's how we know who we are. That's how we know what the world is. That's how we understand who God is. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews pretty much this whole year. That's where we're going to land for most of this year. And this is the dominant theme of the book of Hebrews, that Jesus Christ is supreme over every other form of revelation, every other source of information, every other system of religion. Jesus Christ is supreme. And so the author of Hebrews is going to say, if you want to know what's true, go to Jesus. Hebrews is a fascinating book. One of the most fascinating books to me in the whole of the New Testament. It's beautifully written. 
And it reads like a long discourse. In fact, a lot of scholars, as they study this book, they recognize and think this is actually an ancient sermon, probably, that was transcribed into our Bible and written down. It's the most beautiful, eloquent Greek, actually, that we see in the whole New Testament. And yet, the interesting thing about the book is we don't know who wrote it. There's no name attached to it. For years and years, people thought maybe Paul wrote it as they took another look. It's very different from most of Paul's writings. We don't know who wrote it. And yet the author seems to be a person that has authority in the early church. And he seems to be a person who cares deeply for his readers. In particular, he cares for these readers that they do not abandon the truth they found in Jesus Christ and go back to an old way of doing things. His readers were men and women who were Jewish Christians and they had come out of the practice of Judaism from the Old Testament. And they're probably living in the city of Rome. As you read through the book, it seems like they're living in Rome and now they've trusted in Jesus as the Messiah. And what's happening is they're experiencing persecution. And if you've read much about the persecutions of the early Roman emperors against Christians, they're just beginning to experience some of these things. Some of them have lost their homes. Some of them have been kicked out of Rome, apparently. Others perhaps have lost their jobs or lost prestige because they have claimed the name of Jesus Christ. And so the author of Hebrews says, don't turn away in the face of persecution because you will be forfeiting the greatest treasure you have, which is knowing Jesus Christ. And so he says, stand firm. Stand firm in the truth. And so as we walk through the book of Hebrews, that's where we're going to go throughout the course of this year. And as you guys are starting college or coming back to college, I don't think there's any message that I could proclaim this morning that would be more significant to you than this. Regardless of the pressures you may face to orient your life around something other than Jesus Christ, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Some of you, you're going to walk onto campus tomorrow and the pressure is going to be, I'm going to orient all my life around my studies. Now, if you're a parent here, don't freak out yet. All right. You say, I'm going to orient all my life around my studies, right? Studies are a good thing. We want you to get good grades. We want you to stay here and not have to leave. But if I begin to believe that the purpose of my life is to get that A, and then get a bunch of A's and get a good GPR and then get out of here and get a good job and make good money so I can have a happy, healthy house and family. And that's the end of my existence. Then what Hebrews would say to us is I've missed missed the boat. Because I've invested in things of this world rather than the things of Jesus Christ. Instead, I think what the scripture would say is whatever career path you choose, whether you're an engineer, an architect, a pastor, a missionary, whatever it may be, you are called to orient your life around knowing and pursuing Jesus Christ because he is greater, because he is how we know God, because he is how we have eternal life, because he is how we understand this world. So as you walk onto campus, there are going to be others that say, now the purpose of your life is in pleasure, make friends. Pursue sex now that you can. You're out of your parents' house. Pursue partying, whatever it is. And others will say, no, the purpose of your life is to find your personal fulfillment, whatever that is. Or maybe it's just to help other people. And we come back to the book of Hebrews and we're going to follow through the book of Hebrews and we're going to agree with him this year that there is nothing higher, nothing greater than knowing and pursuing Jesus Christ. So as we start the book of Hebrews, the author begins with this thesis for us. Jesus is God's supreme revelation. Look again at verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2. 
says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. All right, so the author begins by discussing very directly the worldview that these men and women had, which was there's nothing higher than the Old Testament prophets. And there's some validity to that because uh, we find in 2 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter says, no prophecy is a matter of one's own interpretation, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So in other words, the Old Testament prophets wrote the words of God in this book. And what's fascinating is then the author of Hebrews says, yeah, that's great. Long ago, God spoke to us. He did through these men. But he says, now, in these last days, he's spoken to us in a different way, in his son. And literally in the original language, it actually says he's spoken to us in a son. It's a whole unique mode of revelation, no longer in a writing, but in a son, in his only son. And the idea is, as we see Jesus, God is communicating to us. He's speaking to us through Jesus Christ. The argument is, what has come now trumps what came then. The revelation of Jesus Christ is even better than the Old Testament prophets. Now, some of you inherently buy the idea that what is newer is better. If it was told to you later, it must be better. You're going to go uh, into your classes tomorrow and next week, and your professor's going to sit you down. He's going to give you a syllabus. And on that syllabus is going to be a research paper that you have to do. And uh, the research paper will say, you need three to five sources for this paper. But you're going to forget about the paper. You're going to get your syllabus, and uh, you're going to set it aside, and you're going to think, uh, I don't know really everything that's on there, but I'll get to it, Right? The night before that paper's due, you're going to pull it out and you're going to start to pray, right? For revelation and wisdom because you don't have time to go to the library and find your three sources. And so what you're going to come up with in your mind is this. Uh, I realized long ago, long time ago, uh, scholars, they talked to us with books and journals and things like that. But in these days, we have something better, right? Something greater. It's called Wikipedia, right? And you're going to go... And you're going to get on Wikipedia and you're going to start typing. And uh, in your case, although the structure of the argument is wrong, uh, it's the same. I'm sorry, your argument is wrong. And your professor is going to say, wrong, right? And the reason is this. Even though you're saying what's new trumps what's old, you have no valid justification for your position. In other words, the weight of the evidence is not on your side that Wikipedia is better. But for the author of Hebrews, he says, the weight of evidence is on my side that Jesus Christ who came now in these last days where he's writing, Jesus Christ is better, is greater than these prophets who came before. And that's where he's going to go in the rest of our passage. He's going to say, here's my justification. It's not just the argument that new is better, but he's going to say the justification is this. Jesus perfectly represents God. He perfectly represents him. If you want to know God, you look at Jesus. Anybody in here ever been on a blind date? Uh, I never actually went on a blind date. I was kind of afraid to. But uh, I had a friend actually years ago who was set up on a blind date. We'll call him Jack. And he was set up on a blind date with another friend of mine. We'll call her Jill. And they didn't know each other. It's just easy. Yeah, it's easy to remember, okay? They didn't know each other. Well, so Jack comes into my office and he starts asking me some uh, reasonable questions. What's Jill like? What does she look like? Uh, What's her personality like? So I start kind of trying to describe her. You know, she's short, she's cute, she has brown hair, she's real bubbly, she's real fun. But there's only so much I can do to describe her. 
the only way that he's going to know really about her is if either he goes and meets her, or if he wants to know what she looks like, he could get a picture, right? Well, now this was a number of years ago. These days, you have some other tools, right? It's time for some Facebook stalking, right? (laughs) Now, some of you are, are making faces. You've done it. I've seen you, right? You go on there, you get a picture, you get an image, you learn some things about the person, and you go, all right, I think I, think I know him. I think I'm good, right? They like puppies and walks in the forest and things like that. There's their picture. We're good, all right? And so you, you go to the image to get an idea of what this person is like. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is you want to know a, a perfect, complete image of who God is. You look at Jesus Christ. Because he represents his father. He represents his father. And there's four things he's going to say to us about Jesus that tell us he is greater than the prophets and he perfectly represents God. First one is this. He owns the universe. He owns the universe. Look at the second part of verse two. Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He says Jesus actually made the world. Jesus not only was there at the beginning, but he's going to be there at the end. He made it and he owns it. Now that's a surprising statement if you're a Jewish Christian living in the first century. Why is that? Who made the world? God made the world. It's the very first thing you read, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the author of Hebrews is saying that God made the world through Jesus. That's a big statement. And the idea is Jesus made it, therefore Jesus owns it. Everything belongs to him. You belong to him. I belong to him. This room, this town, this state, this country, this world, it all belongs to him. There's no moment of your time. There's no part of your being. There's no place you could go that does not belong to Jesus Christ. He owns it. And the author of Hebrews says, because he owns it, he is the most trustworthy source of information about it. You want to know how you ought to live? You want to know how you ought to go about a relationship with God? You want to know who you are? You go to Jesus because he owns it. If you want to know about your cars, you you go to the manufacturer. You want to know about a house? You tend to go to the person who owns the house. I was in the backyard with my kids yesterday and we were playing on this jungle gym that's in our backyard. And I looked at the jungle gym and it's one that I assembled. Took me several days. My father-in-law gave it to my daughter as a gift, but he also thought it would be uh, fun just to give me something to do for a few days. And so uh, I put this thing together. And as we were out there in the backyard, uh, they begin to swing and it starts to kind of wobble. The whole thing starts to rock back and forth. And I I looked at it and I knew exactly what bolt probably needed to be fixed because I'd done it before. I also knew I probably have another two or three weeks before it collapses. And so we're okay. I can wait a little while, right? I know if you go down the slide, you're going to get stuck about halfway down that slide unless you kind of do a little shimmy to get down it. I know that the ladder at the back is a little crooked, and I know why. Because I made it. So you come over. You guys want to come over, play on my jungle gym? Make sure I'm out there with you. You won't get hurt. And the idea is I made it. I put it together. So I'm the best source of information about it. That's what the author of Hebrews says about Jesus. Jesus is God's method of creation and Jesus owns the world. Secondly, he says, Jesus shares God's very nature. Verse three, he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. 
He reflects out God's glory. And although in his human flesh, the glory of God was somewhat muted in Jesus so we wouldn't die, Jesus still reflects accurately the glory of God. Not only that, but he's the exact representation, it says, of his nature. The Greek word here is the word character. And it was a word that was often used to talk about a statue that bore the likeness of an emperor or a king or, or a coin that bore the likeness of Caesar. It was a character that they would stamp on there. So you look at the coin and you see Caesar's face. The author of Hebrews says, you look at Jesus, you see God. And that's why Jesus told his disciples in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know how to know God? Look at me. When I was in college, there was a guy that shared a number of my classes, very distinct looking guy, bright red hair, fair skin. And he and I got to know each other uh, a little bit when we were in our classes. And one day I was walking to class and I saw him on campus. And so I greeted him. Hey, Brad or whatever his name is, how you doing? Uh, And uh, as I greeted him, he kind of made a face at me and he goes, I'm great. Thanks. And then he kept walking and I thought, well, that's rude, right? What's going on with that? Well, I, I... Went ahead and went to class. The next day I saw him in class. And I went up to him. I said, hey, every, everything okay? And he goes, yeah, I'm fine. What, why? I go, well, when I saw you yesterday, you, you made a face at me. You didn't seem like you knew who I was. And he goes, I didn't see you yesterday. And uh, I said, well, no, I, I saw you. I said, hello. And he started laughing. He said, uh, that was my brother. He goes, my brother is a petroleum engineering major. He's in the same building all the time. You saw my brother. He's my twin brother. And I said, y'all looked identical. And he goes, we're identical twins. We actually are identical. They looked exactly alike. To a person that did not know them well, you could not tell the difference. And I just had to ask. I said, have you guys ever kind of swapped out at anything? He goes, oh, yeah. I used to go to class for him. He for me. Take tests for the other guy just to see if we could do it. Said, you ever go on a date for the other guy? Yes, they did, actually. <laughs> right, isn't that your worst nightmare is someone's date? They're swapping out. You don't know who's who, right? Because to look at the brother is to look at the other one. They're a spitting image of one another. And that's what the author of Hebrews says about Jesus. You look at Jesus, you see God. Uh, the concept used in the early church uh, was uh, of the Trinity. It's three persons, but one God. The theological term they used was this term, homoousion, which essentially meant Jesus shares the same nature, the same substance as God the Father. He is God in the flesh. John 1.14 says the word, God's communication to us, became flesh and dwelt among men. No one's seen God at any time, but the only begotten God, as from the Father, he explained him to us. He shares God's very nature. So we look at Jesus to understand who God is. For the first time in history, the author of Hebrews is saying, God entered history and became a man. Not only did he become a man, but he removed our sin. He removed the barrier that was traditionally there between us and God. Look at the uh, last part of verse 3. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus came and he purified our sin. And this is going to become a critical idea for the author of Hebrews as we go forward. He's going to say, Jesus now is the best priest. You had priests under the Old Testament law who would sacrifice goats and lambs and rams. And it would cover over your sin. But now you have a better sacrifice and you have a better priest because you have a priest who has direct access to God. 
And he's a better sacrifice because those goats and lambs and rams could never take away your sin. Your sin is what keeps you from God. It is those actions and attitudes and thoughts that are disobedient to God. And the consequence for that sin is eternal separation from God. It's death. And Jesus became a man, God in the flesh, and then he took our sin on himself. He perfectly represented God and he perfectly represented us. And he removed this barrier. And that's a stunning statement from the author of Hebrews. No longer do we go back to these old rituals and sacrifices, but we look to Jesus. You stay with Jesus as your sacrifice. Even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. I was thinking about this concept a few weeks ago after I had kind of a random event happen in my life. My family and I were driving down the street on Rock Prairie Road, which is a busy road here in town. And as we were driving down the street, I looked in the middle of the road and there was a turtle about this big trying to make his way across the road. And I looked at my wife and I said, he's not going to make it. Someone's going to smack him. And, uh, I forgot I have two daughters and uh, my wife is in the car and I'm outnumbered. And so my wife looks at me and goes, can you do something for him? And uh, I was like, like, like what? Yeah, I'll do something for him. Ha ha. She goes, no, uh, can you? And, and the girls in the back start going, save him, daddy. Save, <laughs> save the turtle. All right. So uh, I'll admit I pulled, pulled the car over. Uh, we pulled into a parking lot. I walked across a field and the turtle, I walked over to the side of the road and he's sitting there and he's trying to get up the curb and he can't get up the curb. And uh, so I, I walk over and I pick up the turtle and I took him over into a field and I dropped him off. For all I know, he walked right back to the road. I really don't know. But I dropped him off. I ran back to the car. And uh, as I got to the car, I thought, I just risked my life for a turtle, right? <laughs> it's, it's dirty. It's green. It's, it's small. I don't really, if a car had begun coming at me, uh, while, the, while I had the turtle, I'm gonna t- I would use that, that thing as a shell, as a shield, right? I am not going to die for a turtle. It's a turtle. But what's amazing is as we read the scripture, we see that Jesus comes and he looks at you and me and we're small and we're dirty and we're insignificant and we're sinful. And you know what he does? He dies for us. And that's why Romans 5 says people won't even usually die for a good man. But maybe, maybe for a good man, they might die. But Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. And then he rose again. And he defeated my death. He defeated my sin. And so the critical point for the author of Hebrews is, why would you go anywhere else for life? Why would you go anywhere else for truth? Then to Jesus Christ. He purified our sin. He took it away. And then fourthly, he reigns at God's right hand. Last part of verse 3 into verse 4. It says, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. The idea is Jesus completed the work God gave him, and now he sits down at the right hand of the Father, the most honored position in a kingdom in Eastern culture, and Jesus sits down, indicating his work is done. And one day he's coming back. And he's there now and he intercedes for you and me. That's 1 John 1. He lives to make, and Hebrews is going to say it too, he lives to make intercession for us. 
So we place our hope in him, knowing that in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. In Jesus, we have eternal life, and that's the only way to have eternal life. And then in Jesus, we look forward to the hope that one day he will come, and he will set this world right, and he will remove evil and sin and sickness and death, and he will provide us with eternal life. So why would you go anywhere else for truth? Why would you go anywhere else? He sits at the very right hand of God. The author of Hebrews is saying, your service to him, your belief in him, will be rewarded much greater than your service to this world. Be rewarded much greater now and in eternity than anything this world can offer. And even though right now in their lives, their world's being shaken up, they're being persecuted, they're under trouble, they're under trial, things which, by the way, you may experience if you decide to pursue Jesus. He says, Jesus is still better. Jesus is still better. So you lock your eyes on him. Any of you guys go to fish camp? Just out of curiosity. Some of you freshmen, maybe. Okay, a few of you. Yeah. Uh, I went to fish camp when I was a freshman. It was a fun time. I enjoyed it. Uh, but it was interesting to go. As, as I was there, I observed that uh, people had all kinds of different ideas about what their life was going to be about when they got to college. Some of them, again, were thinking, I'm going I'm to just pursue the opposite sex. That's what my life is about. Others said, I'm going to pursue partying and fun. Others said, it's my studies. I'm going to be studying 40, 50 hours a day if I can fit it in, right? <laughs> and people had all kinds of ideas. For some, it was, I'm an Aggie, man. And, and I am going to be there at every game, and I'm going to be the best Aggie that I can be. And in fact, on the very last day of the camp, I remember they took us into this room and they, it was a darkened room and I'm not exaggerating. And they had candles lit around the room. And this guy came up and he had graduated a few years ago and he starts talking about A&M and he's on the verge of tears. He keeps touching his heart and he's saying, I just, I just love this place. It's the best thing ever. And uh, he actually showed us his Aggie ring and uh, I love my Aggie ring. Actually, I'll, at some point I'll tell you a story, but I lost it. I found it again. It's, it's a beautiful story. Um, but uh, he has his Aggie ring not on his right hand, but he's got it over here on his left hand. And he starts telling us, he says, uh, I love this place so much that until I get married, I'm putting this on my left hand. Right? The closest to my heart. Now, I'll be honest. I doubted if he was going to remove it after he got married. Okay. <laughs> That's how much this guy loved this place. Now, don't get me wrong. I love A&M. I'm an Aggie. I'll be right there with you cheering for the Aggies. I hope they win. But this place is not what's closest to my heart. What's closest to my heart is the person of Jesus Christ. You could take away A&M, and yeah, I'd be sad. But I've got Jesus. He's better. You could take away the job that I have. I hope you guys all get great jobs. I love my job, and I'd be sad. But I'd still preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. My family, I love my family. But ultimately, Jesus is better. There's nothing that you can pour your life into that is better, more significant, more truthful than knowing Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, by the way, as a ministry. We really just want to facilitate you guys knowing Jesus Christ. We're going to provide for you opportunities. You come back next week, you'll find opportunities to get into a group to study the word of God because we believe it is the revelation of God about Jesus Christ. 
But we're going to be in the book of Hebrews because we strongly believe that the best thing as you begin to think, what what am I going to pour my life into? The best thing is Jesus Christ. So the question is this, will you arrange your life this semester, this year, around knowing and serving Jesus Christ, being in the word, coming before him in prayer, knowing him? It may be that you're here and you haven't ever yet trusted him for the very first time. And like I said earlier, maybe the step for you this morning is you need to come to a place where you say, I believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again for my sin. And that's the only way I can have eternal life. And maybe it is that you're here and you've believed that and you've been here a hundred times, but you need to refocus and say, how am I going to prioritize knowing Jesus Christ this year, this semester? How am I going to prioritize that? What steps do I need to take? to know his word, and to know him. I'm going to close in prayer in just a minute, but we're going to have just a few people while I'm praying. They're going to stand up here after the service is over. It may be that you're wrestling with some of these decisions or some of these ideas. It may be you want more information about how to trust Jesus. They're just here to pray for you. They're not going to uh, embarrass you or anything like that. They just want to have an opportunity to pray with you. If you would like someone to pray with you, to ask you some questions, to help you out, um, they're going to be up here. But I want to challenge us. Will we arrange our lives this year around knowing and serving Jesus Christ above everything else? Would you guys pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the book of Hebrews. Father, what a beautiful exposition of the greatness and the majesty and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Don't let us walk away from the hope that you've given us. Father, we trust that you hold us in your hand. You want us to know you better. Father, we trust that your word is true. Please help us to believe it. Thank you for this time. I pray we would arrange and orient our schedules and our lives as we begin the semester around pursuing Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. See you all next week.